listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20 as we continue working through um, the, the book of Acts here. And, and we have a couple of more weeks in this. And, and uh, we trust that the Lord will do a work in our lives here this morning as we dig into this passage. And so here we are in Acts 20. In Acts 19 last week, we, uh, where we were at in, in Acts 19 and, and the small groups were studying this past week, there was a riot that broke out. But now the, that chaotic riot had, had calmed down. And, and I also forgot to mention the ushers have Bibles and they're handing those out. If you need a Bible this morning, make sure you take one of those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home with you. That is our gift to you. And we would love for you to use the Word of God in your lives, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but through the week. It, it's a powerful book. And so in Acts 20, as uh, the riot in Ephesus had subsided and, and uh, Paul was getting ready at the end, he was at the end of his three-year term or his time in Ephesus. And, and, and when you look at these 12 verses we're going to look at today, at first glance, you may look at this passage and just see, well, this is a transitional passage and, and, and it's some travel plans and kind of a funny story about a guy falling asleep in church. Believe you me, this is not a Sunday to fall asleep in church, okay, when, when we're talking about a guy falling asleep in church, and, and we're going to see what ends up happening to him when he fell asleep in church. The story does have a good ending, but there is a, a real danger and a bit of a warning that we're going to see here about falling asleep in church. So, so this, this week, just to, if, if you're tired, tell the person next to you, keep poking me, keep poking me, keep me awake, no sleeping today, and uh, as we need to work through this. But in these 12 verses, there are no commands, there's no instructions, no real specific teaching or sermons or doctrine that are given this is just pure narrative. There's, there's uh, just, just a, a, a beautiful kind of story that we see here. And as you dig into God's word, you just see even more beauty in it. And, and, uh, and, and what we see in these 12 verses is that God's word is so rich and it's so powerful. And it is my prayer that through these 12 verses that might be transitional and a nice little story, that God would show up in our lives. God would do a work in and through his word because it is his word. And he promises to speak to his children through his word. And one of the key things that I really believe that in looking at these 12 verses today that I believe will end up happening in our lives as we examine God's word today is that we will see that a deep love for Jesus can't help but to spill over into a deep love for others. That when we have a deep and a deepening love for Jesus, our love for the body of Christ, for other people, should also be deepening. That's just a chain reaction to an authentic, to a genuine understanding of the gospel and to what the Christian life is really all about. And so, so that is kind of this underlining theme that we're going to see through here, that, that this deep love of Jesus, a deepening love for Jesus, will spill over into a deepening love for others. And, and this is just something that, that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, someone who wasn't willing to give up, someone who continued to keep going. And so the first thing I encourage you to write down that we see here in the first few verses, God's plans over my plans. God's plans over my plans. And we're going to look at verse 1 to 3 here. It says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. 
Now, some of these details that we're going to see here, you can say, how did you know that? How, how did you get to understand, you know, what we're talking about here today and, and kind of fill in some of the blanks here and, and give you more information here on, on these travel plans of Paul's? Well, we look at these through some of the other epistles that he wrote, especially in First and Second Corinthians, as well as in the book of Romans. We get insight, and so we can piece it all together, and we can see this beautiful narrative taking place here in this story. So Paul is on his third missionary journey. This is where we've been over the last number of weeks. He has just spent three years, his longest stay in any city. He just finished a three-year stay in Ephesus. And already in Acts 19, even before the riot, he started to get this sense that it was time to move on. It was time to leave Ephesus. And he had other goals. He had other places. To, he wanted to spread the gospel. He wanted to see churches planted. He had other churches that had been established already. He wanted to go encourage and, and visit. And, and so Paul is getting compelled already in chapter 19 to leave Ephesus. And, and as he has a bit of a plan in place in doing this. And so what he's thinking is, I'm going to leave Ephesus, and I want to get to Jerusalem. I want to get to Jerusalem, which is down there, as you can see, these nice little dots. And I trust these dots are going to help kind of get, get an understanding to his travel plans here. And then what he's wanting to do is get to Jerusalem for Passover. He wants to take an offering to the beleaguered, kind of discouraged church in Jerusalem that were going through a famine and through persecution and, and, and just thought it would be a great thing to be able to take an offering from these other churches, and the other churches were like, yeah, let's get at it. We want to help and give an offering to the church in Jerusalem because that's kind of like our mother church. That's where it all started, and they're going through a hard time. We want to help the body of Christ there. So you kind of think, well, just jump on a ship, Paul, and just go from Ephesus to Jerusalem. Seems pretty easy. And then he wanted to go after that. He had a sight set on Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He hadn't been there yet, but he wanted to get there and, and, and to encourage a, a small work that had been started there. There, and so he was pretty excited to get there. So you think, pretty easy. Well, Paul didn't kind of make things always that easy for himself. And then others oftentimes didn't make things very easy for him. Instead of the direct route, he decides to go the opposite way first and foremost. Even though he's on a bit of a time frame, he wanted to get to Jerusalem for Passover. And yet he still kind of thought, you know what, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And so we go back to the map from the third missionary journey where we've been at. And, 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 and we see the pin at Ephesus. And, and, and so He's in Ephesus. Let's get that pin up there for Ephesus. There's Ephesus. And so instead of going over, you know, towards Jerusalem, what does he do? Watch the progression of what takes place here. And, and, and by modern technology, you see that little dot moving. So here he is on the move, all right? And he's going all through these places that he had visited, that he had helped on his first and second missionary journey in establishing churches, and he wanted to get to Corinth. So the plan was to get to Corinth because that was a bit of a messed up church that while he was in Ephesus, he had been right writing some letters to the church in Corinth to tell them to smarten up, you guys. Like, it was a carnal church. There was a lot of sin in that church. And so he had written 1 Corinthians, actually another 2 Corinthians that we actually don't have a copy of. That was a pretty harsh letter, and, and we don't have that a copy of that today. And he also wrote 2 Corinthians. And so he wanted to get to Corinth, to, to Corinth spend the winter there, and he ended up spending about three months with the saints there and, and, and wanting to encourage and teach and correct and deal with this kind of carnal church that was very worldly and kind of helped straighten them out a little bit. And during this time, he also wrote the book of Romans. And, 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 uh, and, and so, because once again, he wanted to eventually get to Rome. And so Paul is going to these churches, encouraging, seeing how they're doing. He's wanting to check in on them and, and, and just to see, you know, are they keeping the faith? 
Are they, you know, continuing to grow in their relationship with the Lord? Are they, are, are they growing in the understanding of the gospel? Is there generosity in their lives? And, and, and so he's also coming along and he's telling about collecting this offering for the church in Jerusalem because he encourages and wants them to be generous. And so we end up finding out these churches as he's going along, I'm sure they were encouraged to have Paul show up and, and, and come for this visit and spend some time with them. And they were, we see they were thrilled to be able to help out in this offering because their lives have been touched by the gospel. They wanted to give to others. And that is one of the outflows of the gospel. That, and, and that's why we take an offering every Sunday that as, as God is at work in our own lives, we want to give back to him a portion of how he has blessed us to help further his work, whether that be local or whether that be around the world and it's a joy for us to be able to take and we set aside 7% here at Harvest, 7% of any, of, of any and of all of our income that comes in and 5% of it goes towards church planting, other churches here in Canada and around the world and 2% we keep here in order to go into a missions fund for us to be able to use to, to reach people locally as well as globally for the gospel and, 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 and giving is just a natural response to the gospel. And, and we see this happening in the early church and we desire to be a part of that even today. And so Paul gets to Corinth, which is, is mentioned here as Greece, but we know from his writings that it's actually in, uh, they use the word Greece for Corinth, and, and he spends these three months with the church in Corinth. And so we see then, he's coming to the end. Remember, he's on a time frame. It's like, yeah, I'm going to spend winter here. It's not a good, good, good season during the winter to travel by ship anyway. So I'm going to just kind of hunker down here in Corinth. And then we're heading to where? To Jerusalem. I'm going to get to Jerusalem for what? going to celebrate Passover and celebrate that Jesus is now the Passover lamb. And, and, and oh, he just couldn't wait. I mean, th th this was pretty exciting for him. And so then it says, there he spent three months. In verse three, it says, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he's getting ready to board the ship, and all of a sudden, he finds out that, oh no, this isn't going to happen. He's not going to be able to get to Jerusalem in the way that he thought or the way that he hoped, because he found out that there were some Jews, some opposing Jews, that were against his teaching and didn't like him, were also going to board the ship. And at the right time, maybe when he was having a snooze, and when the water was high, and, and, and just at the right time, they were going to kill him, or just simply just take and grab him and throw him overboard and be done with him. And so when he found out there was this plot to take his life, he's like, I think I'll go another way. You know, like you kind of think about these things that happened in the Apostle Paul. It's one thing to be slandered. It's one thing to be treated poorly. And most of us, has that happened to you? Have you been slandered? Have you been treated poorly? Has that happened to you in your life? Yeah? Yeah, if it hasn't happened, it probably will happen or else you just weren't aware that it has happened perhaps to you. And, and, and these are things, but it's a whole nother story to know that someone is plotting to kill you. I doubt that um, very many of us and I hope that none of us have ever had that or will have that. And so he's like, fine, I will not go by sea. I'm going to go by another route. And so now we see a progression again with the help of modern technology. We see him now moving back, following the little arrows, and he ends up getting to Troas. And, and this is where this story today that we're going to look at is based in. I can't help but to think when you read this in light of the context here of God's word that one would have to think that this would end up being a huge disappointment for Paul. 
He had his hopes, his heart, set on getting to Jerusalem for Passover. And I can't help but wonder if, he can't, if this didn't go through his mind. You know, Lord, I've been serving you faithfully. I've been doing what you wanted me to do. And the one thing, the one thing I was hoping for and kind of, you know, building up towards and dreaming about and, and, and coming into Jerusalem for Passover and seeing the faithful ones there and bringing this offering, the one thing I wanted to do, and it doesn't happen. And I wonder if he was a little disappointed with that. You know, God, I've done these, I've been in prison, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been rejected, I've been opposed, and, and, and the heaviness that I've carried and the weight of the churches, especially the church in Corinth, and, and all of these different things. And I almost wonder if Paul ever got to that point where he was just like, you know, I'm ready to tap out. I'm done. I'm serving God faithfully, and look at what's happened. But does Paul do that? We don't have record of that. Instead, it seems that Paul has come to settle on the truth of God's word in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Write down these references because these are important references, these next three. For when our plans don't go according to our plan, our hopes are shattered, our dreams die. Paul has come to rest in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you say, well, is it wrong for me to make plans? Should I just kind of just go out and live by the Spirit every day and just get, you know, like just loosey-goosey and have no plans? No. Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. It's biblical. It's good. God wants us to make plans. Plans that, that lead us towards abundance and, and towards prosperity. That's a good thing. But it says, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So, so Proverbs here in this passage as well as in other, other places tells us it's good to make plans. It's good to have dreams and hopes. Nothing wrong with that. But as we dream our dreams and we make our plans and we have our hopes, it's in keeping this open hand Having an open hand like in James 4, I encourage you to read this passage today later on. Because this passage in verse 15 ends up talking about how, yes, we can make our plans, but it ends up saying that, that this open-handedness that we ought to live with, that at the end of our plans and our hopes and our dreams, we say, but if the Lord wills. God, I want your will to prevail over my will. Because remember Isaiah 55, God's ways, his plans are higher than ours. What doesn't always make sense to us makes perfect sense to God. And it comes with this idea of submitting and saying, okay, God, in everything I do, I, I, I want to submit to your good and your, your powerful, mighty right hand. I, I, I want to submit to you. Now, that's really easy to say, isn't it? It's easy to pray that prayer. It's a whole nother thing to live it, isn't it? And I believe so much for Paul, one of the great encouragements that he had was not only the Spirit of God within him, the Word of God, but very rarely do you ever see Paul alone. He never lived in isolation. He lived with others, others that were walking with him, others that would 
go along with him at times in, the prison, in, in prison, took the beatings along with him. And yet, this reality is so difficult at times to face. In September, I mentioned my 23-year-old nephew who I shared with you just shortly after we found out and he found out that he has cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's been quite a journey for him and for his family and for all of our family and for the church that he's a part of in Saskatchewan. And here's a picture of his CAT scan in September. And much of the black there, except for in the area of the brain and some of the areas of the organs, represents the cancer that was in his body two months ago. And uh, this cancer was definitely not his plans for his life. His plans were about pursuing a, a relationship. He, he wants to get married. He has a career. He has uh, areas where he serves within the local church that he was excited about and, and, and his whole life before him. And you get this news of cancer and it's like he didn't see that coming. The Apostle Paul didn't see this plot coming and killing him just in the same way nephew didn't see this coming. And it's been quite the journey and yet God's been so faithful. Here's the second part of that CAT scan that was taken this past week. And after two months, he's been declared 100% in remission. And, um, and the doctor used the word miraculous to describe the progress of what's going on. The black that's there are just the areas that should be black. Now he... And so we rejoice in this good news and we continue to pray for him as the doctors still desire to still do more treatments to ensure that any lingering cells are, are dealt with. And so we rejoice that, that these plans that were not planned for, God is working them out in a way that we could, you know, just, just in such a beautiful way and God's using this for, for his glory in his life. And yet we hold fast to pray for my dear niece, Courtney, who some of you would know. She's been here visiting a number of times. She's 20 years old, struggling with a rare genetic disorder. And this week, it's been revealed, discovered that she has, again, once again, skin cancer that's returned to her already very delicate hands, as you can see in the picture. And one of the considerations for her that the doctor, the medical teams are looking at is amputation. Those aren't in her plans. Not in any 20-year-old girl plans. And it's been a long and a difficult and a painful journey for her, for the family, and yet we believe that God is sovereign and God, God's plans are higher than our plans. And it's learning to trust God, God's plans over my plans. This week I talked to a dear friend who lost his job. And now it's like, now what? What, what do I have now to go to? Talked to another couple I've known for a number of years and ran into them this past week and I've run into them over the last little while and, and, and they're in, the, in transitional housing right now. They're getting ready to sell their condo and, and, uh, and move into a transitional place because of his wife's worsening dementia, dementia and so that she can be properly cared for. And this week, and he said to me again, and he has said, to me, said this to me over the last number of times when I've run into him with this, just, this sadness and this depth of just, just discouragement in his heart. And he looks at me and he says, Melvin, this, just, this wasn't in our plan. This wasn't in our plan for our golden years. We didn't see this coming. 
whether it's an accident or a fall or an injury or an illness or a descent into depression or other mental or emotional struggles that just seem at times to come out of nowhere or, or that fear that keeps you up at night or that death of a loved one or a failed marriage or, or, or whether it's that prodigal who is so far from God or it's a financial crisis or it's dealing with the hurt and the effects of abuse in your life. It's in these times, dear loved ones, we must learn and we must commit to trusting God's plans over my plans and know that his plans for me are good. And we continue to, to trust him and we cling to him. We cling to the promises in his word. And we have those in our lives that walk with us and encourage with us. We open our lives up for that and we're also there for others. And that's where Psalm 8611, write down this. This is, this is a go-to. This is a go-to. Psalm 8611. It won't be on the screen, but it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Oh, would that be a reality, a growing reality in our lives? Because God's ways don't always make sense. And our natural desire, the natural route that we're going to take is selfish or else it's one of comfort or complacency. It's about my, being, my will being done instead of saying, oh God, may your will be done. And time and time again, we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He had plans, he had hopes. And those hopes and those plans were foiled by, by others. In Psalm, or, or in Acts 16, when, when he and Silas are together and, and in, in Philippi, and next thing you know that they are being thrown into jail, they're imprisoned, they're beaten, and what do we find them doing in prison in Acts 16? They're worshiping. They're praising the Lord. They're trusting. And I'm sure it didn't just start out very naturally. They just determined, hey, in this, in this time, I'm going to turn my, let's turn our attention and our focus towards the Lord and let's worship God even in this prison. And God delivered them. But even before God delivered them physically, he delivered them mentally and spiritually, gave them joy in their heart even in the midst of the prison. And God in his time, in his way, will deliver all of his children. Whether it is here on this earth, and we put so much stock on this, on our time here on this earth, and we don't give much towards eternity, but God will have the final say, and his plan is good. Oh, that we would hold on to the Lord with an undivided heart. Trust him. Wait patiently for him. And even though Paul would have been disappointed by this, it didn't deter him. He continued to keep going. We see he remained steadfast, committed to the work. He didn't quit the work that God called him to. Instead, he, he stayed faithful and he just found another route. And here's something else that we see that's really sweet. I encourage you to write this down. Here we see then the diversity, the beauty, the unity of the body of Christ. In verse 4, we'll pick it up here. It says, Soptar... Sopatar the Berean, son of Purus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy. And then there was the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. 
On the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So Paul ended up going with the person writing this book here, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was with him, and they ended up celebrating the Passover in Philippi, as referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Not in Jerusalem like he had hoped, but in Philippi. And then we understand that then he boarded this ship from Philippi over to Troas, and that's where he met up with his crew, the representatives, those from the other churches who were assisting in this offering to bring this offering to Jerusalem. And so here we get a list of, of Paul's nine traveling companions and some pretty interesting names there. There's only like one normal name and the other names are like, wow, those are certainly very different names that, that, uh, that they would have. I, I, don't, I don't think you would find most of these in any kind of a baby book or anything like this. They're kind of odd names, kind of like Meldon, bit of an odd name, but uh, it's in a baby book somewhere, my mother tells me. And, and, uh, and, and so, but in this, and, and again, this is just the beauty of the body of Christ and beauty of the Word of God when you study it. We're going to just take a look at two names here. And this is just, just, just something really beautiful to, to think about. Take, take, for example, the guys from Thessalonica. All right? It says, first of all, there's Aristarchus and Secundus. Now, Aristarchus, the Latin form of that word is where we get the word aristocrat. And so his name, and, and then, in those days, your name told you something about yourself. They told, told you about the family you're a part of. And so, so when we get the name aristocrat from Aristarchus like, like this in such a way, this tells us he was from nobility. He was from the ruling class. This guy was something. He was a bigwig. He was, a, you know, he, he was the head hog at the trough. You know, like, I mean, this guy was, was, was very important. Secundus, his name in Latin is where we get the word second from. His name means second. And this tells us that more than likely, he was a slave. You see, the Roman Empire at that time consisted of an estimated six million slaves. And what slave owners would do when they would purchase a slave, or when they would have slaves in their house, to strip them of their identity, their personality, and to make it a little easier, they would get rid of their names, and they would call them, or they would give them numbers. And so you would have primus, for what number? One. Secundus, yeah, yeah, Norm, you need to go back to school. And uh, for two, secundus means second or two. And later on in Romans 16, you can check this out. The guy who actually did the writing for Paul of the book of Romans, Tertius. What does that mean? Three. And so he too would have been a slave. And here is what we see in such a beautiful way. You have the aristocrat, the nobility, uh, bigwig, Walking together with the slave. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past. If you have been bought by Jesus Christ, we are equal. We are one together in Christ. In, in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, Whether you are slave or free or Jew or Gentile or man or woman, doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. And here we see the beauty of the body of Christ. You could have it in this church where an elder could have been a slave and a greeter in the church could have been the slave owner. 
And you see this beautiful diversity that in Christ, it doesn't matter your rank, it doesn't matter your family, it doesn't matter your past, it matters what Christ has done. Are you in Christ? We're all one in Christ. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. And here they are all together. They're all together here in Troas with the believers there. And we see on the first day of the week, they're all gathered together, it says, to break bread. And this is the pattern we see of the early church. They would gather together in one place. Yes, throughout the course of the week, we believe that some, sometimes they even met weekly or, or daily together, but once a week, they would gather together in an upper room, in a rented space, and in some sort of facility in a home, and all the church in, 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 in that area would, would gather together on Sunday. Now, Sunday wasn't the Sabbath. Sabbath was the Saturday, but Sunday was the first day of the week, often as well referred to as the Lord's Day or Resurrection Day. And it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so we see this pattern that on the first day of the week, it was a work day for them. They would go to work, but in the evening, they would gather together to remember the Lord's Supper. They would gather together for some teaching. They would gather together for worship. And oftentimes, there would be a common meal together. And this is what we see happening in Troas. And so these people would gather at the end of the day's work and they would come together in this way. And so right from the beginning, we see that the early church was gathering together on a weekly level in order to worship the Lord, to be taught together, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to fellowship. It was a priority for the church then. And folks, it hasn't changed Gathering together like we're doing here is to be a priority for God's people. Hebrews 10.25 is a command and a reminder. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Is the day approaching? Is the day approaching? Is Jesus' return getting closer? We should be meeting more. We need to be committed to meeting together as the body of Christ. And I'm sure there's a collective, glad I came to church today. It's a good Sunday to come to church when you're talking about attending church. Good Sunday to be here. But folks, we can so easily ignore this truth. Oftentimes, we'll gather if it's convenient, if we feel like it. But if Pastor Pillow is calling, I'm going to listen to his sermon in, in the morning in, rather than coming to church. Or, or if the ski hill or the beach or, you know, I've had a busy week and I just need to catch up. Busy with what? What is so important that it over, overwhelms the responsibility and the privilege to come together and meet with God's people, invite the presence of God into a room like this in our worship this is important. God's word calls this, us to the importance of gathering together. And I totally understand there's illness and there's life and there's work schedules and life issues at times come up. But when we purposefully plan to be away from the local gathering and, and kind of downplay it and, and, and just think it's not important, it's wrong. This is important. This is vital. Or maybe, and I think all of us can say we've been there or maybe you're even there right now, that maybe your heart doesn't long to gather. And yeah, that is a problem when that happens and we need to address it. We need to ask ourselves, what's wrong? Because that doesn't represent a person who loves Jesus. A person who loves Jesus is going to have a, a, 
a growing love for the body of Christ, even when at times the body of Christ is dysfunctional. Even at times when the, the body of Christ can be confusing and are just even weird. We are to gather together. This kind of a meeting, folks, thank you for coming today. But these meetings, they're important. It's important that we gather together in this way. There's a power, there's a blessing that God bestows when his people gather in this way. And I hope, I pray, I trust that you, when you gather, you're coming with an open heart and an expectant heart, a, a longing heart, not just kind of coming in and sitting down and saying, okay, pastor, you better impress me and Shayon better sing the songs that I like if I'm going to actually sing any songs here today. Oh, that's so upside down, people, but we so much do that, don't we? We have an opportunity to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the way that the Holy Spirit inhabits his people is different in each one of us and he's gifted us to be different, to, to have different parts and different members of the body of Christ and we are to worship together with our lips, we are to serve together with our hands, we are to converse with one another with our hearts and with our minds and whether it's on Sunday. One of my friends, a friend of mine, Harvest Pastor, put this on Facebook this week and I just had to steal it. It was so good. He said, Jesus didn't found, didn't found a book club. He gave us a church, his body on earth for doing his will, unified under his name, the purpose of which is to glorify and make, make him known to the ends of the earth. This is a big deal why we're here this morning. It's not just for you to get a little charge up. It is for you to charge others and to encourage others and to, to, to worship the Lord and expect the Lord to meet you on a Sunday morning. I, I, I pray that when, when you come walking in here, no matter how stinky or how wonderful the week was, you're saying, oh God, would you, would you wake me up for the truth that you would have? Oh God, would you... Would you alive in my spirit? I'm tired. I'm weary. You say, I better make sure I'm drinking my coffee. No, you have the Holy Spirit to quicken you, to make you alive. Years ago when in the church we were at, I was preaching and we had two services and, and oftentimes then I would preach my sermon in practice ahead of time and so I'd get to the church early, preach my sermon and by the time I got through to, to the third preaching of that sermon, I was pretty wiped, I was pretty tired and, and, uh, and, and you say, well, preach shorter, you know, and, and then it would be easier and, 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 but I just couldn't do that for some reason and so in between services I would be kicking back these, you know, uh, energy drinks and I'd be in my office and I'd be guzzling one of these energy drinks and all of a sudden I'm looking at the ingredients on it and I got so convicted and I kind of started thinking, you know what? If I need to drink this garbage in order for me to be able to proclaim the truths of God's word, I'm not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm relying on this garbage. And toss the energy drinks and I said, okay, Lord, you're going to give me the power and the strength to be able to preach and to proclaim your truth that third time on a Sunday morning. And you know what? The Lord never went back to drinking that kind of stuff. We have the Holy Spirit that can quicken our thoughts, that can help us to receive and understand the Word of God. And folks, it's so important. We, we can't exist in isolation. We need fellowship. And there's something special and significant about the assembly gathering together. It's more than just coming in and being entertained or having my needs met. This is an opportunity where we can get a glimpse 
Just even this morning as we were singing that song about just the way it kind of altered the words of that old hymn to, to, to the life of, of the shepherds and, and that. And, and I just, I got this glimpse as we were singing that of just the joy they must have had waiting all these years and, and reading all of these, these promises about the Messiah coming and then the Messiah comes and oh, the joy and and my heart was just, oh God, may I anticipate you and, and what you would have in my life in the way that those shepherds and those who discovered the Christ child that Christmas, oh God, would you do that in my life? You see, folks, there's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to our gatherings, and both are so important. You see, every believer, every one of us, we need encouragement, we need help, we need strength that comes from the risen king, that's vertical, and we engage his power and his strength as we worship him, as we put our thoughts as, uh, towards him, as we repent of areas of sin, as we ask him to fill us and, 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 and to work in our lives. And, and that vertical happens in and through us. And, and, and so come with an expectant heart. Oh God, I need to hear from you today. As we sing songs of worship, think and focus on the songs that we're singing. Just don't sing them. Allow your heart to be touched by the truths. As prayers are prayed, pray those prayers along with the person who's praying those prayers. And when it comes to the message, Bible open, ready to receive. Not a word from the pastor, not a word from the preacher, but from the Lord. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. And the Lord may use me to be able to speak to you, but he, he's much greater than that. He can speak to you through his word. Even while I'm preaching, you may be getting a whole other message. Just make sure it's biblical. It's in the word. That's the vertical. And when the vertical is happening, what flows out is the horizontal. That's where we then want to encourage and serve and, and, and love and care for one another. You know, one of the greatest encouragements that I see, that, that I receive on a Sunday morning, is from so many of you simply by your presence. When I see people showing up and knowing that you've had a busy week, or that it's taken sacrifice to get here either because of sickness or illness or just because life events or whatever it might be. And we, I turn around and I get a little glimpse and I see you worshiping your face off and just trusting the Lord and seeing your sincerity and wanting to learn the word of God. And it's such an encouragement to me and I know it's an encouragement to others. You see, I didn't even say anything or do anything. No, you showed up. Showing up is important. And folks gathering together, even here in Kelowna, in, in, in Harvest Kelowna, we see the, the beauty of this diversity. One of the sweetest times after seeing you on a Sunday morning will be happening in a few moments as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. As we come, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, woman or man, longtime believer, new Christian, different backgrounds, different experiences, but we share one thing in common, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we partake together, and we recognize the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ as the means by which we have been saved by what God has done through his son Jesus. And it's a declaration of that great work and a reminder to us to declare that until he comes. May we ne never get over the wonder of gathering together. May we never get over the wonder of the Lord's Supper, each of us, that once we are dead in our sin, unworthy, unworthy to take the Lord's Supper, until God made us alive in Christ, may we never get over the wonder of that, the beauty of the sacrifice. 
the gospel. Picture that it shows to us, taking the bread and taking that cup. Reminder to us of his broken flesh and his shed blood. The last thing that we see here in this passage in verses 8 to 10 is the danger of falling asleep in church. Of course, I saved this to last. So, so everyone turn around, make sure the person next to you is awake. Are you awake? Are you awake? Are you ready to keep going in this? So here we have the first recorded, and now a long line of people who have fallen asleep in church. Some people talk in their sleep. I happen to talk in other people's sleep. You know, and, and that's just a reality. And, and so did the Apostle Paul. As we read here in verse 7, it says, it's talking about Paul, and, and it says, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room, so it was getting a little warm, where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at a window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Remember, there's a doctor documenting this and the doctor says the, guy, the boy is dead, the boy is dead. And when Paul had gone up, and had broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a while longer until daybreak, and so he departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Poor Eutychus probably worked all day, and that room would have been warm. The fuel from, from the lamps probably were also helping to sap up the oxygen, and, and, and he's doing everything he could to stay awake. He even went and sat beside a window so he could get some fresh air, and yet that didn't work so well. He still fell asleep, and he died. But here we see again the supernatural power of God given to the Apostle Paul as Eutychus is raised from the dead. Now, I can understand that sleeping in church can sometimes happen. Do you know, they said that if you take everyone who falls asleep in church and lay them end to end, they'd be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> Except here, where I think you get uh, probably some of the best seats to fall asleep into. Um, no, falling asleep in church does happen. And, uh, and it's just a reality. Busy schedules, poor sleep patterns... The night before, I get it. And so I'm not usually too offended if someone falls asleep in church. Sometimes people have health conditions or medications that can cause drowsiness. Again, I understand that and I get that. One guy in our church, in a, in a church where I pastored a number of years ago, he could not stay awake whether his life depended on it in church. He would be sitting there and as soon as I would start speaking, he would start snoring. He literally, he started snoring and it was a bit of a problem and it bothered him, but he had a number of uh, sleep um, deficiencies or, or, or uh, I don't know the, the full technical word, but, but he just couldn't stay awake. He would sit there so, and he felt bad about it, so they gave him a cup of water and thought, you know, if, if he holds on a cup of water, he'll have to concentrate. Next thing you know, he's getting a wet lap because of the, the water spilling on his lap. So then they thought, let's take it up a notch. Let's give him coffee. Then he'll, you know, be even more paranoid because he doesn't want, no, next thing you know, guys are sitting next to him and saving the coffee from burning his leg. And finally, they just said, I'll oh, just let him sleep. Now, he was, a, he was an auto mechanic. And at times, I guess they would have to come and roll him out from underneath uh, the car because he'd be sleeping, you know, on the job. And he, so he had a health condition. And, and, and sometimes uh, that sort of thing can happen. Now, I don't get too concerned when a person because of, um, you, know, you know, various reasons, falls asleep in church. 
But I do get concerned when a person, because of choices that they have made, falls asleep week after week after week. That would indicate that probably something is wrong about a person's attitude towards the Lord, towards the Word, that something is just dead in them and, and, and it needs to come alive. And so that's a concern if, if that kind of thing is happening. And poor Eutychus, I mean, his, his spirit was willing, but his body was sleeping. Um, and, 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 and that's understandable. And I like what Kent Hughes, a commentator, uh, had to say about this passage. And, and he said, what can be a greater concern, though, than someone like Eutychus are, are people who have bodies that are awake but have souls that are asleep. We can be sitting in church and be awake and never fall asleep, have a clean slate record when it comes to falling asleep. And yet we can be asleep. Our souls could be asleep. Might appear to be awake, but spiritually you're asleep, you're bored. You're planning out your next week. You're checking social media. God's word doesn't ignite any excitement or passion in your life. That's a concern. It's great that you're here, but if, if there's no heart or passion for the word of God and learning God's word, that's a concern and you need to address it. If we find ourselves spiritually in the sleepy disposition, we have to ask ourselves some questions, kind of take a look under the hood, so to speak. And, and this might mean, this might be an indicator that a person has never been truly saved in the first place. Because if the Holy Spirit is in us, there's going to be this, this hankering, this desire, this, this longing to, to want to be in the Word and, and, and to fellowship with God's people and to worship the Lord. And, and, and there's going to be this desire there to have that. And, and if we don't have it, it might mean that we've never been truly spiritually awake, that we're spiritually dead. And we need to address that. See, you can grow up in church knowing all the songs, knowing the Word of God, having all the answers and still be dead in your sin. And if worshiping the Lord and being in his word is just dead to you, maybe you're not truly alive. And if this is the case, in your case, confess your sins before God and declare your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and ask him to make you alive and awake and brand new and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. His spirit will come in and things change. And if this is the case, a person, we, we must confess Jesus in this way. And if you do, the Lord will come in. And if a person is a child of God, you've given your heart to, to God, but you're in a state of spiritual slumber right now, it may be because of disobedience. You've allowed the distractions and the cares of this world to overweigh your love and your desire and your passion for the Lord. Repent of that. Maybe it's because you're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness or a secret area of sin or even an outward area of sin. And they say, I, I'm fine to do this. This is okay. Then you're going to be spiritually sleepy. God's spirit isn't alive. And we need to confess. We need to make those right. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sins and ask God to reawaken us and ignite his fire within us. Today, are you awake Let's bow our heads in prayer. Encourage you just even now as even the band comes that we take time to examine our lives in light of God's word today. Are you living for your plans or are you submitting to God's plans for your life? Are you invested 
committed to the body of Christ. Are you all in? The body of Christ is beautiful, it's diverse. And yet we gather in unity around the name of Jesus. Are you alive? Are you awake spiritually? Or are you sleepy, lethargic, or even dead? This morning in a few moments, we're gonna be partaking of the Lord's Supper. But before you do that, God's word says we need to examine our hearts. This is a serious thing that we're gonna be doing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a way that we invite the presence of Jesus just here in a special way. But we must do it with examined hearts. And just in light of what we've talked about here today, I'd encourage you just to spend a moment in silent prayer, asking the Lord to search your heart, confess areas of sin, make things right with the Lord. If you need to make things right with others, do it.